still the most extraordinary, riveting drama on TV, substantially because of its emphasis on showing and implying before scripting what it's thinking. Almost sounds like a riddle. Melanie McFarlane of Salon.com. She's talking about Better Call Saul Season 6, the final season we're talking about this week here in Cinephile, in addition to Barry, that brilliant show on HBO, uh, Severance as well on Apple Plus, and those are our new features. Also squeezing in a Chip and Dale's review. That's right. Was able to crank that out this weekend. It's available right now, uh, streaming. And I as thought far maybe as you went to the show in Vegas. I thought maybe you oh, saw yeah. Chip <laughs> yeah, Don't worry, I have Chip and Dale's joke coming up momentarily. Don't worry. <laughs> Male strippers are on the way. But as far as our old movie is concerned, with a nod to Judd Apatow, we're just continuing the Judd Apatow theme. It can't go over the fact he's such a great guest. So for our old movie this week, it's the 10th anniversary of This Is 40, which Chris has seen and I had never seen. So a fresh watch for me. Yeah. And you will go back into the brain and think about that. And as far as our wildcards concerned, one of my great college buddies, Randall Thorne, we know him as RT. He's got a terrific show. It is called The Porter. It's available right now on BT Plus. Available back home on. Uh, but really, CBC. but really, we just talked to him about Adnan in college. Yes. Chris was like, "All right, I understand you're supporting your boy here, but like, can we get some dirt out of this? So don't worry, we get some juice <laughs> yeah. back from the college days. What we were like. First and foremost, though, my guy had his birthday. Chris Cody, go yeah. shorty. It's your birthday." This is, 35. this is 35. This is 35. It was uh, oddly emotional. Not going to lie. I'm feeling older. And maybe because I was a little under the weather, a little snuffleupagus going on. There was no parties. It was just dinners with friends. It's just, it was an old birthday. I was like, had family time. It was just, I, I, I sat back Sunday and I was like, I'm old now. Like it used to be a thing where it's like, oh, early 30. Like, no, you're 35 years old. You're, you're a grown ass man. All I do is make you... fart jokes. <laughs> well, we always appreciate jokes about flatulence, but you are right. With 35, you can't hide from the fact it's mid-30s, yeah. and it's not going to get better. Like, you can hang to mid-30s for another year, but then 37, 38, now you're late-30s. Now, of course, you're about to go off the cliff oh, getting to this. My back 40, hurts. Course, like, it's miserable. just, yeah. this is it. This is life now. Yeah, it's, it's not a great birthday. But it could be worse. Trust me. It could be I'm worse. In my 40s. Yeah. yeah. It gets worse every year for me. I'm in my 40s, and Stugatz is older than me. And we have the same birthday. So trust oh. me, both of us are miserable every time it's our birthday. But I'm glad you at least celebrated your birthday. I wanted to ask you one thing here. This isn't to prove that like I'm an old fart or just that I don't pay attention. But I, how odd do you think it is that I have no idea what Wordle is? And I'll tell you what I know about it. People post things about it. I'm guessing it's a word game, and yeah. you post your score. But I've never actually done it. I couldn't care less. Is that is that odd that I don't know what the hell Wordle is? Well, or it's I don't definitely care? new. Like it's, I think it's within the last two or three months that these things have exploded. Now they're everywhere. They're all different sports. There's like girdles and myrtles and dirtles now. Like these things are everywhere. And and Wh Chris Whittingham, not surprisingly, does all of them. Everything's all about. I remember Sporkle. Remember Sporkle? You go online and have all these quizzes. I like Sporkle a lot. That yeah. was good movie stuff. I, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing Wordle is a version of that. Whatever brain teasers. And all. Good for what. I'm sure there's one for actors. Like I'm sure there's one where you have to pick an actor's name and it tells you what movie it was on. Like you like you get portions right. of it right, so it helps you guess. I don't know. It's it's too much for me. All right, somebody, somebody send me a cinematic wordle, and I'll check that out in the next episode of Cinephile. As Chris put in the write-up for the episode, which I'm always curious about, it says Adnan plans to send Miles Teller a DM, so I'll give you the feedback on that. <laughs> I, I DM'd Miles Teller Monday, May 16th at 3.59 p.m. Hey, man, I know you're as psyched as I am of the Eagles landing A.J. Brown. Let's start with the Eagles. Yes. Both Eagles fans. Paramount sent me all 10 episodes of The Offer. I loved it. Thought you were fantastic as Al Ruddy, the comm center in the middle of the storm. Okay, praise this project. Yep. Still doing my podcast, Cinephile, through the Dan Lebitard Network of Metal Art. Just drop Lebitard's yes. name. He's going to know who Dan is. Would love to have you on the pod for 15 minutes via Zoom. Just had Judd Apatow on the pod. Again, good name drop. If you could pass along your team's info, I'd love to set it up. If you'd rather not, 
No worries at all. Yeah. Just want to let you know you crushed it. And then I threw in a, hopefully Rosillo sees it once the NBA playoffs are over. Jogs the memory. You, you are know, just name dropping everyone. Yeah. Did you mention anyone else you've met? Were you like, oh, I met the <laughs> Commissioner Batman. I mess, m- mentioned him too. Commissioner Batman. So I look up his, his uh, social media. He's at the Cannes Film Festival. Top Gun is at the Cannes Film Festival in the south of France. This guy's way too busy. He doesn't have time for my nonsense. Oh, but he does. Tuesday, he responded at 12.15 p.m. Hey, Adnan, good to hear from you. Would love to come on your show. My publicist's email is blank. Glad you dug the show, Miles. Mm. So I've been in touch with the publicist. Miles, tell her hopefully next week. The DM, hopefully, fingers crossed, we're reeling him in. It's the, slight, the, the push off to the publicist, a little bit of a red flag, but we're going to push through. Hang on a second. You think he's gonna say, "Here's my cell call me anytime." I think it's just he could be like, "When can I?" I don't know. I'm just. I'm not saying he's not gonna join. I'm saying he he gave himself an out there. Oh, yo, my publicist deal with her. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, we'll get him on next week. We'll see. Um, I hope everyone has now seen the George Carlin documentary, which was on this past weekend. Of course, I'd seen it a couple of weeks ago once uh, we had the interview with Judd set up. George Carlin's American Dream. Uh, first part was on Friday. Second part was on Saturday. Just a couple thoughts on it. I don't know if you did. Did you have a chance to watch? No, it was your birthday. You didn't watch it. What I found interesting about this is Carlin had many different versions of his comedy. Like, if you think of your favorite comedians, you normally think of them a certain way. Like, if I say Eddie Murphy, you picture him in the red jumpsuit yep. in Delirious. If I tell you about Richard Pryor, you picture what he's like. If I say Jerry Seinfeld, like, oh, what's the deal with that? Yeah. With Carlin, he had very many different versions of his comedy, which I found fascinating. Early on, suit and tie, buttoned up, very kind of, you know, corporate. Then all of a sudden, grew the long hair, the beard, talking about drugs, doing a lot of cocaine. And then later on, became very socially conscious and focused on the world that large so it's amazing how like as a comedian he was kind of like an actor he had very different George Carlin's it's almost like a painter hey which version of George Carlin did you like most because there was different versions throughout his life and his personal life was fascinating which I did not know a whole lot about married to the same woman but she had a horrible issues with alcohol he of course had a serious drug problem was always on the road I thought it was really interesting stuff they had from his daughter and just the life that she had just observing a very famous father and a, a really strong marriage that they loved each other but obviously were very much chemical dependent the closing montage is amazing. If you watch both parts and you say, well, it's a little bit long, it's a little bit slow, cut to about the three hour and 30 minute mark. There's 10 minutes where Apatow puts together Carlin routines and sets it to today's images. It's absolutely brilliant. You see George Floyd, you see the Capitol insurrection, you see fights about abortion, and he's got Carlin talking about those issues. Like, it's one thing to say everyone talks about police brutality now. Carlin was talking about it back in 1990. Um, he was talking about abortion. And what I think is most interesting about the guy is he was offending all sides. Like, he was anti-left and that he was not an environmentalist. Like, he would crush it. He would, he would make fun of Earth Day every chance he got. He thought it was the stupidest thing ever. Uh, but then he would offend the right by the fact he was very much pro-choice uh, when it came to abortion, very much against police brutality, very much focusing on angry white men. And interesting now, Dave Chappelle, who is about as popular stand-up comic as exists, He's been very heavily criticized for his jokes at the trans community. And I thought what's interesting, Carlin at one point said that, you know, with his jokes, he always felt like he wanted to punch up. He never wanted to be a bully. And some of the criticism that Chappelle has taken is that you're making fun of a marginalized community in the trans community, whereas Carlin was always going after what? As he said, the rich white people who are running this country, going after capitalism, going after politics. So I I just think the documentary is fascinating. I hope everyone goes and checks it out. What's also interesting is I read this article in Salon.com about jokes that you can't say. It might have been Slate. Which 
if you do 50 years of comedy, you're going to have some jokes that didn't land. He does one about feminist blowjobs, which was not featured in the documentary. He does one about they're just words in which he talks about the N-word and says, like, you know, it only has meaning depending on who you are. He's like, you don't care if Eddie Murphy or Richard Price is it because they're N-words. I'm like, yeah, that would not fly well in the documentary. He does a bit about anorexia and making fun of women who don't want to eat. Like, George Carlin definitely took shots and a lot of shots at religion, you know, well-blown uh, atheist, but at the very least, a guy who had longevity. Whether or not you liked George Carlin or didn't like him, the fact he had 50 years of comedy, I think it's inarguable. He's a guy who's in the heavyweight Mount Rushmore stand-up comics, and someone like Judd Apatow, you can tell why he has such fascination with him. As a golfer, you will laugh at his criticism of golf. Yeah. You hit the ball... Then you go pick up the ball, yeah. and you hit it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you pick the ball up and go home? What's yeah. the whole point of finding the ball in the first place? Very much anti-golf. Yeah. Baseball fan, though, the doc which points out, at one point he had a uh, heart procedure. Where was he? At a Mets game. Big Mets yeah. guy. He was at a Mets-Dodgers game, and his buddy's like, we got to go. So George did like baseball. Great routine, of course, football versus baseball. Football is a military operation. Baseball is played in a park. Yeah. Like, that, if yeah. you haven't ever heard that routine, that's obviously a great one as well. So check out George Carlin. One more thought on wordplay, which I was in one of the stand-up specials I was walking. He talked about how, you know, you have these liberals now saying about their friends, he happens to be black. It just happens to be. Because you wouldn't use it, but he, but he happens to be black. And he goes, and then there's openly gay. He goes, you wouldn't say that about any other community, but he's openly gay. And I started thinking to myself, okay, who is open? Like, Louis Farrakhan, he's openly black. He goes, Colin Powell, hmm, no, no. He just happens to be black. <laughs> it's, yeah. His wordplay, man, is yeah. unreal. So good. Such, such a smart guy. So good. All right, let's get into the current stuff this week. Let's fly through it. Better Call Saul, first and foremost, Listen, this is a show obviously I love. Thanks to Patrick Fabian, who was a great guest last week. Uh, it's a prequel that actually works. And think how gutsy this is. Think how rare this is. I think if you go back in television history, you watch Cheers. Okay, we'll take one character, Frasier. That ends up being a huge hit. I don't know off the top of my head how many times Cheers won Best Comedy Series, but Frasier seemed to win every year. And every year, I'm like, how the hell does this show beat Seinfeld? I mean, I liked it a lot, but I still thought Seinfeld got robbed more than a time or two. But very rarely you have a hit show, and then all of a sudden another show comes out of it. Happy Days, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, the Jeffersons. Yeah. Yeah. But very, very rarely. So Better Call Saul, it's a prequel that actually works. It's very deliberate storytelling. It's drawn out. I know some people would say a little slow, a little boring, but I like the fact it's got four different plots at once, and the visual style is so unique. You know, they love their long shots like David Lean. Vince Gilligan is such a great uh, great creator of work. And particularly, I love the fact they always start to show these enigmatic openings. They have these flashbacks. One episode this year was Kim as a child, Ray Searn's character, when she's stealing and what her mom's reaction to it. And you think, all right, how does that inform who this person became today. You also have flash forwards. One of the more haunting ones was a black and white sequence of Bob Odenkirk working at Cinnabon. And you're like, okay, does he wind up working at Cinnabon yeah. one day? Like, is he undercover? How does that work out? The opening slow motion to this season set to that great song, Days of Wine and Roses. And it's, and it's his house being emptied by a bunch of random people. You're looking for clues. At one point, there's a Viagra. There's a woman's thong. And, and that gets to the whole question of what happens to Ray Seahorn. If you know Breaking Bad, you know that Bob Odenkirk survived. Of course, Saul Goodman is a great character in Better Call Saul, but you never once hear about Kim. So the whole question is, does Kim live? Does she die? Does she go to prison? We don't know, but we're going to find out with six episodes left. I love the supporting characters like Lalo. He's got that thick stash, charming villain. Kind of looks goofy, but he's actually terrifying. Ray Seahorn, who inexplicably has never been nominated for an Emmy, but everyone knows she's one of the best actors on TV. She almost feels like she's Lady Macbeth to Bob Odenkirk's central character. But the whole key to the show is it invests a comic character 
who is Saul Goodman, Saul Goodman, with genuine stakes and, and culpability. I mean, he's, he's a huckster salesman. In Breaking Bad, he's comic relief. He's a funny guy there. But here on this show, you see his genesis, how he became who he was, this cruel brother played by Michael McCain who's chilling and unforgettable. And, of course, if you're a Breaking Bad fan, I don't think this is a spoiler alert, they made this big news. Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul will return. So they are going to be on the final six episodes of Better Call Saul. I cannot wait to see how the show ends up. The only annoyance is right now the show has taken a hiatus. Final season of 13 episodes, but they've done seven. Now we're taking a seven-week break and then six more episodes. And you go, why the hell are they doing that? It's about the Emmys. This way, this season will be eligible for Emmy consideration this fall, and the final six episodes will be eligible for Emmy consideration next season. A little get over yourself. Like, how about you I know. Just... I, I, I saw it and I go, listen, you've never won. Like, Better Call Saul is one of those shows. Every year, Cody, seven nominations. Uh, Odenkirk's up for Best Actor. The show's up for Best Show, Best Drama Series, Best Director, Best Cinematography. They never win. Like, they, they've never win. So I'm like, okay, so you're just trying to hedge your bets now and go, okay, hey, this is the final episodes. Let's finally get a victory here. I'm like, who cares? Just put up the season. If no one wants to nominate you, screw them. That's life. Do but you... Better Call Saul, a show that you don't watch, but Roy is a big fan. Oh, yeah. Roy loves it. Do you think Vince Gilligan will take this? Because... You know, he had the obviously Breaking Bad victory, and then he does the prequel that everyone clamored for. It's a huge success. Like, is that going to be it, or is he going to be like, I can't miss with this. Let's pick another character. Like, is there is there any setup going on here for something else after this? It's a great question. I don't think there is, but it would be amazing if he kind of turned it into Star Wars. He's like, all right, you know what? I've already had two yeah. big hits here. Let's make it a third one. Because I would think, hey, the first one was a massive hit in Breaking Bad. Felt risky to do a prequel, but to your point... It's been a huge hit. And AMC, you know, is going to back up the truck. Like, how many millions do you want here, Vince? Whatever show you want. No red tape. Whatever who you want to cast. Like, bro, carte blanche. So I don't think he would, but clearly he's a guy who's attracted to this universe, who's basically been immersed in making shows in New Mexico for 12 years now. So, hey, why not make it 20? Maybe there's one more show up his sleeve. Interesting to think about. Better Call Saul, the final episodes. Uh, A quick thought here on Barry, which is five episodes in into 10 episodes. Uh, It's a very idiosyncratic show. I find it to be a marvel of mood when I watch it. It's from Bill Hader and Alec Bird. Berg, excuse me. When I first saw it, I said, how the hell is this a comedy? This isn't like a funny ha-ha comedy like uh, Family Ties. This is like a very off-kilter black comedy. It's got some like odd humor and then truly realistic violent action scenes and really thought-provoking subject regarding identity. But if you're not aware of what it is, it stars Bill Hader as a hitman. And imagine pitching this. We're going to talk to my boy RT about how hard it is to like pitch shows when you're talking to these people who run studios. Imagine saying, I've got this show for you. It's about a hitman from the Midwest who moves to Los Angeles and gets caught up in the city's theater art scene. What? That is uh, random. Like, uh, it so seems hit- like you were just given random phrases and it's like, make yeah. a show about this. Like, what do you think sounds, what do you think is a harder sell, that or Better Call Saul? The trials and tribulations of criminal lawyer Jimmy McGill and the time before he established his strip mall law office in Albuquerque, New Mexico as Saul Goodman. Yeah. So an origin story about a lawyer right. or a hitman turned actor. Both huge like, hits. <laughs> and then it's so wild. When I hear Barry, I just imagine a show about Barry Bonds's life. I bet you that actually would be interesting. I'm not even kidding. HGH, the cream and the clear, yeah. summer, 62 home runs. Still beloved in San Francisco. Head else growing two head, sizes. Head is growing. <laughs> uh, the fact he couldn't throw it, Sid Bream. Um, <laughs> Bill Hader, obviously an amazing sketch comedian on SNL, but he spoke with the fact he always suffered from anxiety. And he, he really kind of uses that, I think, in the show. He's got this unnerving intensity. He's a lot like me. He's a huge cinephile. If you get Bill Hader in a conversation, it's a dream to get him on cinephile. Look at you he guys, just a couple of guys cutting it up. 
Like you, you'll never hear him talk about like I, I just listened to Mike Myers. He was on two podcasts. He was on Smartless and he was on Scott Feimer's Hollywood Reporter podcast. And he kept talking about the fact, oh, he's from Scarborough. You know, he grew up in Toronto, huge Leafs fan, always loved comedy, loved Peter Sellers. But like Bill Hader loved movies. Like he was like watching Turner Classic movies. He wanted to be a filmmaker. He to this day, when Maya Rudolph was on SNL, he was accosting Paul Thomas Anderson. Like PT Anderson was there because that's his wife. And he's like, hey, bro, I gotta ask you some questions. And he's like asking him technique and directing. Yeah. He goes, at one point, PT Anderson is a little bit uncomfortable. Like, hey, I'm glad you like my films, but I'm here to support my wife. Like, bugger off. He's apparently approached Scorsese and Tarantino at parties asking for editing tips. Like, hey, can I show you my show, Barry? I have a couple ideas for you. So he is really into not just being an actor, but also a director and a creator. And and he won the Emmy Award for Best Actress first season. And so did Henry Winkler, who is a TV icon. I mean, this is the Fonz, who has never won an Emmy Award. He finally wins for playing this character on Barry. And you talk about a fantastic character. He's playing an acting teacher named Gene Cousineau, who he said he based on some acting teachers he's had and some originality. His first season, I mean, he's insulting this actor and berating them. And at one point, they start to cry. And he's like, go with that. Go with that. Like, that's what he's trying to get motivation of his actors. You know, typically, he's in it for the money. You know, you got to pay cash, got to pay cash, take my class. The shocking season two conclusion, when Stephen Root, who's another one of these comic actors, so great in news radio, he ends up turning on Barry. He's originally Barry's mentor, but he rats on Barry and tells Henry Winkler that Barry murdered his police officer girlfriend. Like a great cliffhanger to season two. He's like, Barry Berkman did this. And Henry Winkler is looking at his girlfriend's dead body in a trunk. And he wakes up and goes, oh my God. I'm like, I had to wait two years for season three. I'm like, yeah. wow, what the hell's going to happen now? So season three, I'm not going to say too much, but Kuzno is now being held hostage by Barry. He gets him a few lines in a TV show, but he feels trapped. He rekindles his relationship with Joe Montana. Love Joe Montana. Always great. as fat Tony in The Simpsons. Uh, great relationship with David Mamet. Uh, he's also trying to rekindle his relationship with his agent, who's muttering all these profanities he's been called. But it's, it's an excellent supporting cast. Sarah Goldberg, she plays Barry's girlfriend. This season, she's so excited because her show got a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> there's, there's, there's one scene she's giving expenses. She's like, I got to tell you guys, I got a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, holy shit, 98% of Rotten Tomatoes. At one point, her show is being canceled, and all she says is, guys, I don't think you understand. We got a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think we're good. And they keep talking about algorithms, and she's so pissed about algorithms. At one point, she's in a junket, and the actor or the interviewer says to her, who should play Spider-Man? She goes, Ben Mendelsohn. And the guy's like, oh, like, what a horrible choice. The episode title was actually called Ben Mendelssohn. I go, okay, kind of like how Chris is very inventive with episode titles for yeah. us. The fact that the episode was called Ben Mendelssohn, I go, what the hell's going to happen <laughs> in Barry season three, episode three? And that's why they gave it that title. Good title, Ben Mendelssohn. Uh, there's also a great Dom DeLuise joke. And I haven't even gotten to the guy who I thought maybe we could get on Cinephile. Because he's not a huge name, but he is great on the show. His name is Anthony Kerrigan. He plays Noho Hank. He's a Chechen assassin who suffers from alopecia, who this season we found out is gay. He's quirky and hilarious. I've never seen a guy like Noho Hank. I mean, I can't even imagine him on another show because he's so unforgettable as this character, who, again, is just uh, unique and original. So... Barry is a show that I love. I encourage people to check it out. Four Maple Leafs, Better Call Saul, Four Maple Leafs, both shows that I really do enjoy. A quick thought on Severance, which everyone kept, my buddy Alpha said, you got to watch it. I watched three episodes, Chris, I couldn't get through it. It's on Apple Plus. It's an hour long. Listen, I don't, I don't want to give a full review because I haven't seen the whole thing, but it's nine episodes. It's directed by Ben Stiller, who I love. Uh, and it's got Adam Scott, who to me looks like kind of like a, an inferior Tom Cruise. And you know how much I don't like Tom Cruise. I like Adam, Adam Scott, Scott, though. He's good in stuff. He's a good actor. When I see him, I go, he looks like he's looks like he's like a bad version of Tom Cruise. And he plays a guy who's got this troubled personal life. And Severance is a is a show about where you go to this office and you undergo this procedure where you don't know your personal self from your business self. So imagine you, Chris, oh, it's like separating work life and yeah. 
No. Yeah, Impossible. it's actually very timely, right? You think about work-life balance. Yeah. So imagine if you were working on the Dan Levitard show, but you had no idea who Chris Cody, the personal person, was, and your wife, your daughter. That would not work with my job because of all the personal <laughs> stuff I just blurred out on air for content. <laughs> exactly. It wouldn't make any sense, but... I watched three of the episodes. I still got six more to go. I don't know if I'm going to get through the whole thing, but we'll see. People tell me to watch it, so maybe I'll get to Severance at some point. And a thought here on Chip and Dales before we get to our old movie of the week. I was on Calgary Radio doing my weekly hit with Logan Gordon and Will Nault, and they said Logan's excited for Chippendales. I had the same reaction as Cody. I'm like, wait, is there a male stripper movie coming out, like a Magic Mike thing? And they go, no, it's about the fuzzy ones. And I go, okay, I guess if that's what you like, the hairy-chested guys, the fuzzy ones. They go, no, the, the, the squirrels, the chipmunks. I go, oh, okay, I had no idea. So the Keeps fuzzy ones own. is we're calling. Yeah, yeah I mean, whatever you're into, man, the fuzzy ones. So I, I did watch Chippendales Rescue Rangers with my, my boys Shaz and Maz. They're five and three, so... I mean, it was okay. I, I like the fact Will Arnett was one of the characters. So Will Arnett voicing it. It's mixing animation and live actions. Kind of like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but it was pretty average. Will Arnett is probably just raking in voice actor work. I'm like, glad you brought that up because I was thinking, he first started his career in voice work and he said he was doing okay. Arrested Development is a huge hit, not monetarily, but puts him on the map. Everyone's like, this show is super funny. Maybe in some ways, kind of like Barry, it was kind of like a, a niche hit at first. Then it became huge on Netflix, DVD, et cetera. And then I think what really made his career was Lego Batman. Now all of a sudden, he's raking it in. Like, not only are you in the Lego movie, but you get your spin-off Lego Batman movie. That's going to be, what, $20 yeah. million? Dollars? Oh. Right there alone. And now, like you said, he's always pop. He does the Reese's commercials. That's going to be a million bucks. Mm, and isn't now he on Smartless, too? Smartless, that's doing well. Oof. Think about the Smartless, which is a really good podcast. I just listened to Mike Myers. Those guys, Sean Hayes, Jason Babel, Will Arnett, they're not doing a podcast unless they're getting paid. Like right. those guys must be raking in some serious right. advertising money. Like, hey, and when you have podcast. when you have those relationships that they do, like they're just texting people for guests. Like I bet they don't yeah. even have a good guest booker. I bet it's just Will Arnett texting Mike Myers. That is exactly what it is. Each week, one of them gets a guest, and the other two have to guess who the person is. So Bateman got Paul Thomas Anderson. Arnett texted Mike Myers, and then they just they have them on. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. What a life. Anyways, that's Barry and Better Call Saul and a little bit of severance. Imagine if they, if they only knew the work that gets put in on this show to get an author. <laughs> I got to send DMs to people. Like it's just, you're begging Judd Apatow for a retweet, yep. which, by the way, worked. Yep. I texted you with no response. He retweeted us, yep. and he also commented. He quote-tweeted oh, at one point. Love it. Judd's, uh, Judd's after it. All right. Old movie this week in honor of Judd Apatow. This is 40. You haven't seen it in 10 years. I saw it for the first time. I said, i got to finally watch this movie. At one point, Paul Rudd is talking about being a widower versus being divorced. And he goes, it's much better if you're a widower. Like, he's imagining if his wife dies. And he goes, you know, if you're divorced, people look at you differently. If you're a widower, it's like, oh, my God. And his buddy goes, yeah, if you're the girl dating a widower, like, oh, maybe, maybe I can cocksuck away the sadness. <laughs> this is the way these guys are talking. At one point, Rudd escapes his family because he just needs a break from Leslie Mann, Judd Apatow's real-life wife. And she says to him, you keep going to the bathroom, and you're on your phone. Like, what are you doing? He's like, you need to escape from us? He goes, no, I just need to go to the bathroom. She says, who takes 30 minutes in the bathroom? Yeah. He says, John Goodman. Yeah. Which I think is an accurate answer. Later on, Jason Siegel shows up. You and I are enjoying Jason Siegel's oh, work in uh, Winning Time. Uh, he shows up, which I don't really buy him as like a personal trainer. Not to be a dick. He's not like in great shape. That no is like an odd like. cast. It is an odd cast yeah, for like, him. I, like, I don't really don't but see it. But it always works. Siegel always works for me, even in a weird casting choice. Definitely a funny guy. At one point, he's talking about George Clooney, about if he would give you his Ocean 13. And, and he's training a woman with a numb vagina. She says, like, I get nothing out of this. I sit, on, I sit on a fire hydrant, nothing happens. Like, if Clooney took it to her, she'd have no idea. At one point, Rudd's upset. He's arguing with his daughter and his, uh, excuse me, he's arguing with both of his daughters and his wife, which, again, mirrors Judd's life because Leslie Mann's his wife and in the film are Maude and Iris Apatow, his real-life daughters. So yeah. if, if you ever get Judd back again, I'm like, hey, you direct your wife all the time and you directed your daughters in a very profane, vulgar, coarse film. But regardless... 
At one point, Rudd says to his daughters, sometimes I just, just wanted you had a dick, which you wonder, maybe Judd Apatow has said to his own daughters at some point. Uh, 29-minute mark, if you like fart jokes, which I do, Rudd farts in bed, really good sequence there. Later on, Leslie Mann, who lies about her age, much like you know Chris right now, 35. Classic, classic joke for a movie. Right, she's not 40, she's actually 38, she's born in 74, she's born in 76. And the gynecologist says, I know how old you are by counting the rings. Yeah. A little gyno joke. As he's standing, wave. like, with her legs up on the pedals, like, he's, that, that's actually, I think it knocked up the same doctor plays, and yes. he's just like, oh, you look just like your sister. <laughs> Which brings us to, I, I wish I had known, I mean. I, it was I just the sequel to Knocked Up, right? That's what this, it was the unofficial right. sequel to Knocked Up. And you're wondering to yourself, why didn't I watch it? Like, you seem to like Judd Apatow. What, what, what happened? Like, what happened was this. The movie got 51% Rotten Tomatoes. And by his standards, everyone kind of viewed it as a disappointment. It made $67 million at the box office. Everyone's like, eh, just a bunch of gross jokes. Judd Apatow's kind of repeating himself. I'll be honest. Watching it now, I still think it's really funny. Sometimes this it happens. You get, you get used to watching a filmmaker. And if he makes four movies kind of similar, by the fourth time you go, hmm, not as good as the other three. But if you watch it on its own, you go, no, it's actually really funny. Like, what? Because there's enough time has passed. It's really since smart, I watched right? It it's, there's yeah. nothing. There's nothing flashy about this. Is forty. It's just no. smart humor. Anyone who's married can relate to it. It's just relatable, <laughs> good humor. It's like it's it's a, it's a nice easy watch. A hundred percent. And I was thrilled when I saw this guy was in it. If I'd known he was in it, I would have watched it right away. Albert Brooks is in the movie. He's unbelievable. He plays Paul Rudd's dad. At one point, he talks about the financial issues he's having. He says nobody wants curtains. Because everyone thinks it's a luxury. How is it a luxury? He's like, you want people looking at you? You want people watching you fuck? He's like, come on, I gotta, I gotta have some curtains. Um, he's got test tube babies. At one point, he's talking about his financial issues. What do you mean, killing my kids? He mimes murdering his children. And he talks about because Rudd's like, why did you? Why would you have kids in your sixties, Dad? And he goes, Listen, I never thought it would work. The doctor, when we were in vitro, is winking at me like, this isn't gonna work. And boom, now I have three beautiful children. There's nothing I can do. Um, there's some, again, gross out humor, which you expect with Apatow. Rudd and Leslie Mann go to a hotel. And at one point, Rudd has a banana and two oranges. He goes, look, my dick and balls. Yeah. I'm eating my own dick. And he starts eating the banana. Uh, there's one sequence. His legs are up in the air, kind yeah. of mimicking Leslie Mann going to the gynecologist. He's got a mirror up to his butt, and he's got a camera. And she goes, what are you doing? And he goes, I might have an anal fissure or a hemorrhoid. I, and she says, I do not want to investigate your anus. And he goes, no, you got to tell me what it is. Eventually, she looks, okay, it's, it's, it's a hemorrhoid. It's like, okay, great, thank you. Like, I just see the, I just see the kid come. You've also got Megan Fox in the movie. Like, this is 26-year-old Megan Fox, pre-Machine Gun Kelly. Uh, they, think that she's, they, think that they think that she's ripping off the store where they're running. And at one point, she like, takes off her dress to put on one of the store dresses. And Leslie Mann goes, oh, my God, your body's incredible. And she goes, like, look at your, because can I feel your, your tits? Because they're real. And she goes, my kids just suck the meat out of mine. What an expression to say. <laughs> Um, there is a raunchy scene involving Melissa McCarthy. It was really funny. This is a Melissa McCarthy when you think of bridesmaids. She really kind of showed up. And at one point, Rudd is very upset with her because her son has upset their daughter. And Rudd says to her, I don't care. I'm going to come to your house, whether it's your iPad, your iPod, or your iMac. I'm going to shout up your fucking i. <laughs> Unbelievable scene. <laughs> and later on, McCarthy, and they actually have this in the outtakes, when she goes before the principal and starts ripping not only the principal and being gleeful about the fact her husband's dead, but also criticizing Rudd and Leslie Mann. You love a good outtake in a comedy, and in the outtake, McCarthy is just spewing vitriol, and they are cracking up. Yeah. Like they, they can't even keep a straight face, and she's still going. It wasn't like where one actor starts cracking up, they all start cracking up. She stayed in character, and they're just dying of laughter how funny it was. Really, really good. Um, again, Albert Brooks I love. Later on, he's talking about, you know, he says, I finally forgot the issue. You hate Jews. And she goes, don't play the Jew card. He goes, I, I can play it all the time. It never expires. 
But I really think this is 40, as you said. Easy watch, fun watch. If you have parents, if you have kids, you can appreciate it. I think it's worthy of a watch. Right yeah. now it's available, I think, on HBO. You can go check out This is 40. All right, This is 40. I'll give it 40 police because we love Judd Apatow. I talked about Barry, talked about Better Call Saul. Now time to bring in one of my college friends. We've been friends for a quarter century. My boy Randall Thorne. We call him RT. He's got a new show available right now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A pleasure to bring in my man, one of my dear friends, college homeboy, Randall Thorne. We know him as RT. He's got a fantastic new show. It is called The Porter. It's available on CBC Back Home. And as of May 5th, streaming on BET+. Plus. Of course, previously made Utopia Falls, which he was a guest here in Cinephile, and now back with The Porter. And here's the thing. Everyone's going to think... You're just repping your boy, right? Oh, okay, so your friend made some show, and all of a sudden you want to give him some love? No, he just sent me the link. There you go, Cody. This is from the New York Times. Holy moly. A robust drama that is not a cop show, not a supernatural show, and not a split timeline mystery. This dazzling eight-episode Canadian import is set in the early 1920s among black train porters, some of whom are attempting to organize their racist and dangerous workplace, and some of whom find more fulfillment in bootlegging. The show does not shy away from violence, sorrow, or the degradation its characters face, but it isn't a misery factory. The porter has a refreshingly frank approach, and the performances are terrific across the board. Yeah! New York Times, RT. That's massive. Appreciate that, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, New York, New York Times, for, for recommending the show. Uh, and I hope everybody goes out and checks it out. BT Plus, uh, free for seven days. Uh, you know, maybe this is the show to try it out on. Well, it is, absolutely. And let's start with the critics. I remember when Utopia Falls, you made it. I said, how have the reviews been? You're like, eh. And I was like, okay, listen, that show is about hip-hop and, you know, teenagers and as you said to me that's not a show geared towards 40 year old white males who are primarily critics so i am thrilled that this show is getting rave reviews from critics but i hope you as a filmmaker realize and i know it's hard trust me i I face criticism every day it affects all of us but i hope you realize critics you need to view them a certain way they are of a certain people so what they like it makes sense what they would like i remember the school of rock came out and all the critics loved it and i was like well yeah because a lot of them probably are like jack black they wish that they were like you know in led zeppelin band so that makes sense so First and foremost, how do you navigate the fact Utopia Falls didn't do as well as you would have liked critically, but the hoarder is getting rave reviews? You know what, man? I, I mean, look, I always treat the stuff the same way. You know, look, I mean, you're right. Like anybody's going to get criticism. You obviously feel it, you know, to a certain point. But at the same time, you know, look, I, 
you make, you know, like you make things, y'all are making this podcast, you know what I mean? And you're, and and everybody's doing the thing that they love and you do it for yourself and you do it for people who love the stuff that you love. You know what I mean? So uh, at the end of the day, like whether Utopia Falls was, you know, a a tween show that's a sci-fi hip hop show was like really well accepted by like, you know, 40 year old guys. Like, I don't give a shit. I, what I care about is that the people who did love it, that they loved it. You know, the, the, the teenagers that liked it and the young people that liked it, that it spoke to, it spoke to them. That's great. You know what I mean? So I, I just, I, I dispense with the stuff after I read it the first time. And I'm like, as long as, as long as it's reaching the people that it needs to reach, then it's good. And, and it's great that the Porter uh, is, is getting some nice critical acclaim. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, we got a slow burn of, of a critical acclaim, but, um, but everybody tends to, to love it. And, uh, and I really think that, you know, our, our collective crew and cast did an incredible job. I think, I think it looks really nice. It looks beautiful. It tells a full story of these people from back in the day. And I think it, I think we made it engaging. I, I don't think it's a history lesson. I think sometimes when you do his, you know, historical epics and these kinds of things, um, especially ones that are around, um, you know, civil rights and, and, and they can kind of feel like morality speeches, you know what I mean? They can feel like a history lesson. And I think that we really try to approach um, the, you know, these characters and these people who lived back then as humans who, who, who made mistakes, uh, who, who, you know, didn't always do the right thing, um, had, you know, moral choices to make. They made those choices. Uh, they had love, they had laughter, they, you know what I mean? So we tried to really give it a full breadth of, of, of human existence back then. So I think, I think we did a decent job on it, and I, I hope people respond to it. They did more than a decent job. They did a great job with it. But I want to further the point, what you said about when there's shows involving race and race relations. Because mm. some people have criticized shows like this or movies like 12 Years a Slave. It turns into torture porn. It's sure. like, all right, let's see how badly that they're being treated. How viciously can we do it? How did you navigate that? I thought you had a great scene in episode four, that humiliating spit shine scene. It's really yes. well done. It's crafted, but it wasn't excessive. So how do you navigate? Like, let's show racism, but we don't necessarily have to rub people's face in it. Well, you know what, like, look, as a, as a, you know, as a black creator, um, as you know, somebody who's trying to make uh, content for, for our people, but then people beyond our people, um, you know, look, we, we, we are used to seeing a lot of the stuff that actually gets to come out, um, that gets funded and that gets put out. It, it can turn into torture porn. It can turn into this kind of thing. It's like, you know, and, and it's kind of like this boiling down of the black experience is, uh, you know, subjugation and, and, and the oppression that that came from white people in the past. You know what I mean? And like, that's right. that's that's what that's all that that the black existence is. It's just that. But, you know, look, it's it's while while like, you know, systemic racism and, and, and white supremacy is a thing that has been a staple of, 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 you know, especially North America. Um, it is not the totality of black experience. You know what I'm saying? And it's for us, when we approach this show, one of the most important things that we started with was just, we have to make sure that this show isn't just oppression. That's not what I want to see as, as, as like, as a, as a black man watching a show anymore. Like I'm kind of tired of that. I don't need to see 
uh, a slavery movie again right now for a while. I get it. I know what it is. I'm not saying that shouldn't be talked about. I'm saying it should be, but I don't need to see it in all of my entertainment. And if I, if I am going to be talking about a time period where um, oppression was, you know, very heavy, I have to see what the life was outside of that because the, the, the main point of it is, is like, no matter what time in history uh, that black people have existed in North America, there has been a form of oppression that's been hovering over them. But at the same time, great art, great music, great love has been created out of those times. And black people are resilient people. We, we take on the oppression and then we create and we love and we laugh and we, we do these things. So when we approached the show, it was like, we're going to make sure that we go home with our characters and that at home you actually see how they live. And it's not about what happened uh, outside that, you know, that, that like pushed them down a little bit. We're going to show how they are hanging out with each other. We're going to show how they are when they go to the bar and it's joking around. Like these are the important things that we show a full aspect of their lives um, and, and, and as well, their wives and their community. So that was one of the main things that we tried to do and make sure that we, uh, while we show the bad, we show a lot of the good too. Yeah, no question. I was thinking about that first scene. I was like, oh, maybe Randall's paying homage to Malcolm X. There's this great dance sequence. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And then I saw Charles Officer directed. I'm like, oh, maybe yeah, that was just Charles. Yeah, you, yeah. You, did, you directed episodes three and four. Tell me about Alfre Woodard. Great actress. I mean, the scene with the fat white guy, Donald, with the beads around his neck being paid to be spanked. That's a highlight of episode three. I imagine you telling Alfre Woodard, okay, here's how we're going to direct this. She is an awesome actress. And you told me she's a lot of fun. Give me a couple stories how funny she is. Oh man, like first of all, I call her Miss Alfrey. I can't get you, she's a legend. So you can't call your legends by their first name. So the first time I, I just like, and the thing is like when I when I when I knew that I was, I did actually the bulk of her scenes. Uh just happened to be that she fell into my episodes and she came on set and she just she's one of those people that like kind of like she knows what she needs in order to get into the space that she does and she she'll claim it but she's incredibly generous to those around her and her and her scene partners so she'll work with them and she likes to play and i like to play which is great too like i just you know you know my thing is like when you're working with an actor of that caliber um they're not acting you know what i mean like they're alive in that scene they put themselves in a place where they are actually living. And all we're doing is witnessing it. And then we're capturing it. That's all I'm doing. As a director, I have to step back and just capture what they're doing. So you have to create the environment that they can become alive in that moment. And then you just capture it. And, and it's incredible to see when, when, when two actors are alive in a scene, they're just playing off each other. They're just alive in a moment and they're playing off each other and shit just comes out of that, you know? And one, one of the best uh, lines, I think, in the whole uh, series, which is in episode eight, you know, there's a, there's a moment where it's, you know, her character has diabetes and she's, she's going through like a, 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 you know, her diabetes is sort of taking over and, you know, pushing it towards the end of her life. And uh, she's got hot flashes and cold flashes and, and uh, you know, her scene partner, Muna, is kind of like covering her up, trying to keep her warm. And, and she just does this in the scene. It wasn't, it wasn't something that we talked about. It was just like, she just, she just, she's just in the scene and she's just trying to keep her warm. And then Alfie 
you know, she's, she's a brothel runner. She runs a brothel. She's a, she's, a, so she, she, she covers her up and then Alfred just in the scene, not scripted. She just takes off her, she shoves her away. And she's like, what? No titties in the hospital. We just died laughing. It, it completely went straight through all the cuts. There was no chance that we were cutting that moment. And it's just, it's just, that's just reality though. That's reality for her in that moment as that character, she would say that. If somebody's trying to cover up, oh, what, what are you doing? No titties in the hospital? What's going on here? So it was just, it was just a beautiful moment. Um, and it'll stay with me forever. I, I text her after that, that day. I'm like, titties in the hospital will forever be in my memory. Thank you. She, she worked with Spike Lee, like one of our favorite yes. filmmakers, and now she's working with you. You're directing her. Yes. This is Spike directed her. It's amazing. And yes. she's very she complimentary that... uh, to, to me about. I, I had I was like I just need to know all the Spike stories. I you need to tell me about Spike stories. So just lo lots of exchanges and stuff. And um, but yeah, it was it was it was an incredible experience working. With amazing her. that she used that expression too, because you at one point were known as Artitty. So you should have said to her, "Listen, I go by, <laughs> I go by RT, but my nickname is also Artitty." I'm like, I did not. I did not bring that up. But uh, now, now that you mentioned it, maybe I will. We have some more about the Porter and just about show business. But Chris is dying to ask since we are college oh. friends. He wants to ask some questions about me and college and our relationship. Go ahead, Chris. I, know you're I just. I mean, yeah, you said it. I just need. I want you to paint the picture of Adnan Verk at his peak in college. I mean, you know what? I, I would say Adnan has not. He has not peaked. This is also peak. Adnan, it's, you know, like what you see, Chris, is exactly how he has always been. I will say this for the man, you, 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 you know, integrity, uh, you know, to the bone, uh, you know, this guy is you, you, my man, you've been the same, you've stayed the same, your enthusiasm, um, your, your knowledge, your vast, your, your, your hunger for, uh, you know, all of the things that you love. Was he has long winded in college. <laughs> <is> now. Yes, <laughs> he was. Yes. <laughs> And, and 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 he's a show, you know what I mean? And and you know, it's like you know, we we like to be we like to be uh, we like to go to the Adnan show. It's like is Adnan in his bedroom with someone, or is he hosting MLB Network? What's happening in there? He's like, <laughs> welcome back to the bedroom here. One, one of the best things when when me and Randall used to hang out was he'd always throw the Oscar parties, Chris. So yes. Every year the Oscar party, uh, red juice was flowing. Randall would give us, yes. you know, he'd be like ballots. Ari would always clean up. I don't know how the hell Ari always did very well, but I I'm glad that you listened to the Judd Apatow interview, which I sent to you, because not only did I want you to listen to it, because it was funny, but I liked his answer about diversity. And I'm curious for yeah. you, as somebody who's a creator, have you felt that shift? I mean, I know maybe it's different back home, and maybe it isn't different. How do you find it when you're trying to tell different stories about different cultures? Is it opening? Is it still a challenge? How is it? Well, it's absolutely a challenge. I mean, and, and it's, <laughs> in a weird way, it was like, how do I say this? It was it no, no, was no, it was kind of like heartening. It's like if someone said to me, "Hey, I want to tell a story about porters from a hundred years ago." They're like, "Okay, is there mutants? Is there like some sort of like <laughs> is, there a, is there a mechanical dinosaur?" No, no, no. It's about porters a hundred years ago. Period piece, jazz music. It's gonna be great. Like that to me is a tough sell, and I think it's great. But I'm so glad you were able to make it. I, I appreciate that, and I think look, I I, I don't think the. Uh, I don't. I, I think what Judd was talking about, especially you know when he's talking about like Rami, is like, you know, he didn't get the budget that he would get, and isn't that interesting, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, as as things are opening up, and yes, things that you know, like creators of color being able to come out and, and tell stories, you know, ultimately we're going to 
you know, a bank that's still run by white guys. You know what I mean? And, and whether you can be the most open white guy who says, yes, I will green light this, you know what I mean? But they're still limiting budgets, right? And, and all of that is, all of that is, it doesn't come down to, I would say, I don't think it comes down to like one, one, you know, grand wizard at the top of the bit, right? I think the thing is, is like, there is, there is systemic racism, like Judd said, and, and that racism is, is kind of infected everybody. And it's kind of like, well, the track record for stories like this, or even a story I haven't heard of, but, you know, I just don't, we don't, we don't have proof that this stuff sells. And it's interesting. I think Will Smith used to talk about this uh, when he talked about how, when he, you know, he had his run of like 10 years of being the movie star. Right. And he talked about at the beginning of his run that people would tell him, you know, black led movies, they just don't sell, especially across seas in Europe. It's racist over there. They don't sell. They don't, they don't go to see movies. And what he said that he realized is that truthfully, it was that uh, the people who were selling the movies couldn't sell the movies. They would tell him, we can't sell this movie over in Finland. But what he realized is like, you can't sell this movie in Finland because you don't know how to sell this movie. So he, in the beginning of his, of his 10 year run kind of thing, he went and did every single press outlet. Whenever he went, when it, with the international stuff, he went and did those international, he went to community radio stations. He went to like, you know what I mean? He went to the, like the smallest market things and, and tried to sell his movie because he knew that the people that were selling the movies, they weren't doing that stuff. They were selling movies, how they would normally sell a giant blockbuster movie. They just sort of blanket it in a certain way and sell it. So that goes to say that it, it's, it's important that nowadays as maybe some of these uh, envelopes, let's say, are opening up to have more diverse storytelling, that also it's not just injected into the standard selling and marketing package for these things. They have to partner with people who know how to reach the communities in these different places so that those communities come out and represent and hear about this stuff. If, if, they, if the community that's supporting Rami didn't know about Rami because it's just put out in the same way that every other show was put out, then maybe it's not gonna be supported. But if you reach those people and they understand, oh wow, this is a story that is kind of about my community then they'll come out and support. And that's the type of thing that you saw the success with like Black Panther or something, right? It's like, they had like African fashion shows and shit. That's how broad they were reaching out with this stuff. They didn't just like pump it out and put it on every radio station, but they actually went within the communities and tapped into it. So all those people came out and you can see the result of something like that. Executive producer and director, Randall Thorne. We know him as RT. Check out the show, The Porter, BT Plus, seven-day trial. As you said, you can binge watch the whole thing. It is fantastic, soulful, and stylish. And on a personal request, I was in your student film, The Four Aces, which was award-winning. But I think it's about time I got to be in another RT production. So I was not in Utopia Falls, who Smithavji represented. Uh, yes. Cabby, I do not believe is in the porter, although maybe Cab shows up in a later. No, he does not. No, he doesn't. But you got to get me and Cabby in there. And listen, I have a request. If you have a scene of a particularly seedy, despicable character, I'm your guy. Like I keep watching <laughs> those broth. I keep watching those brothel scenes and go, I would have been great in the brothel. Put me as one of the customers. How funny would that have been? <laughs> I can totally. I, I listen. I'll, 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 I will definitely keep you in mind. Although I will say, I heard that you you're peeing about twenty times a day. <laughs> And way too much. I think that's an issue, man. And and definitely if we've got these long hours on set, 
that's something that you should look into. Yeah. Uh, you might want to look into that. And on a personal note, you texted me the other day. You said a producer that you worked with on the Porter is developing a TV series around the yes. business of baseball. So, Cody, I might get my break here in Hollywood thanks to RT. I could make a mean third base coach if you need. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's an actual baseball movie. Maybe about the business of baseball. But uh, if, there's anyway. a, if there's a reenactment scene, Chris could be out there on the field. Like, <laughs> I'll, leave it, I'll leave it to you to work that magic, you know, once, once I make the intro. Yeah. I appreciate it. Last thing, because I want to get a little sports in. You're wearing your Raptors hat. Thoughts on the Raptors or Andrew Wiggins? Maple Jordan, the Warriors look like they're going to win the title. I, Chris is a Heat fan, but I don't think anyone's stopping the Warriors. I think the Warriors are going to win again. Um, and uh, and in terms of the Raptors, you know, look, man, I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're my hometown squad, uh, you know, world champs, as much as people try to just strip that away from us as much as possible. I will say this. The Raptors, you know, they never get the credit. You know what I'm saying? They don't get the credit. And I will say, you know, there 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 aren't many teams that like kind of like inhabit the the the, the tenements of like like real basketball. Like they play hard defense. Uh, it's team ball. It's no hero ball. They're one of the best organizations because they draft incredibly well. Are you talking about the Heat? Like, mm-hmm. what, are you, what are we talking about? No, no, right no. no I'm like, talking about the Raps. Oh, no, the talking Raps. about the Raps. Sounds like the okay. Heat. Great defense, great organization. <laughs> We've done it with no stars. We've had a star one year, yeah. and we won the championship. The Raptors year. are a poor man's Heat. I mean, let's be real. That's Last thing, just a college story for you, Chris. I don't know who actually ate more fast food, me or RT, but he's always been remarkably thin. Like, that that's one of the great secrets of your life. You and me, cheesy chili burritos, Taco Bell, number one Big Mac combo. Like, I'll, I'll take it, it to the house, and it's going to show. You, for some reason, 135 pounds your entire life, now into your mid-40s. Are yeah, you eating yeah. healthier, or do you still – uh, still, I am now – I am eating yeah. – I am eating – my, my wife – is uh keeping me healthy what was the last taco bell night come on give it to me give it up Jeez, i have not had taco bell since college that's wow. that's, that's absolutely true burger king maybe not wendy Wait, maybe not. but taco bell absolutely not I remember I told Randall once that I worked at McDonald's in high school and you couldn't stop laughing because you pictured me as Grimace. <laughs> you pictured me. <laughs> <laughs> you go, I'm looking at you and all I can see you is like a purple costume. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't the guy. It's, I good, it's, good, it's a good Halloween costume for you, though. Yeah, somebody else was Grimace. RT, check out The Porter. Once again, uh, back home, it's available on CBC, but here in the United States, BET+. Plus. It's fantastic. Not just me saying it, but also The New York Times. Congrats, man. I'm proud of you. Honestly, it's awesome. Like I said, soulful, stylish. I just wish I could be on set. That was the biggest thing. While watching your show, I'm like, I would just love to be on set. I just want to wear costumes of that era, and I agree with you. I think hats off, the production design, the look of it. You got that great sequence, that montage, episode four, all the different porters in the train. I mean, it's really... Thank it you, really brother. is well done, man. It's a uh, thank, thank you, brother. Really thank so you. It was awesome. It, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was very difficult to shoot during pandemic. So I, you wouldn't have been able to come on on set. It was like it was super close set for for those reasons. But um, but it was yeah, shout cool. out to Winnipeg where you shot it, which you know, not the place you want to spend six months necessarily. But they were good to you. <laughs> yes, but very good for uh, for period pieces. Um, you know, Winnipeg has has some of that real. Um, beautiful turn of century, like 19th century, 20th century, uh, Gothic style um, um, architecture. So it passes for like New York and, and Chicago very, very well. Like, in fact, a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, 
the architects that were at that time that were building those great cities, they actually would come up because, because, because it was such a railway infused uh, world back then. Um, Winnipeg was actually a big hub, um, truth be told. And so a lot of those architects came up to Canada because Canada would allow them to sort of like design whole blocks. And so there's a lot of these old, like huge old Gothic style buildings in Winnipeg. And then essentially, uh, you know, the bottom dropped out for Winnipeg and nobody wanted to go there anymore. And it kind of just sat there. So it's like, uh, you know, unlike a lot of other cities, Toronto just replaced everything. It's all glass and steel now, you know what I mean? But Winnipeg kind of sat in a time capsule. So people go there to shoot, um, uh, period pieces like uh, oh, what was that Brad Pitt one? Um, it was like the da 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 by uh, by the uh, by the coward Robert Ford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The assassination of Jesse James with the coward. Assassination of Jesse James. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyways, well, if, if you're shooting Quebec City, I love Quebec City. I'm there. That's the one you. I, I, I love Quebec City. That's a that's a beautiful city too, man. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll, right. I'll see. Maybe uh, season two. Season two. Yes, the Porter. I still have to finish the rest of the episodes. Everyone else, check it out. RT, you're the man, man. I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. All right, thanks once again to RT. Thank you all of you for listening. Thanks to Chris Cody celebrating his birthday, now a year older. Next week, To be a fly protest. on the wall, to be a fly on the wall for Adnan in college, man. Ugh. I figured, I think you had a lot more. We kind of went long with all the movie and TV talk, but I think you had more questions you wanted to ask. You wanted to ask if I was working blue in college. Yeah, I had some others. We'll get. We'll have him back on, though. Don't worry about we'll it. We'll have him back on. Yeah, I'll have another project. He'll come back on. I got to get in the show, though. How great would it be if I show up as like a pervert? Like, I'm a, I'm a guy in a brothel. Like, that, Dan would love that. That'd be good for the show. I mean, and then if he could throw me in there, too, we'll get this thing. Yeah. We'll, we'll get the views up on this thing. We'll, we'll, we'll plug it. We'll get you as the third base coach in this baseball project, which apparently I might be a consultant on. Uh, Top Gun. We're going to talk movies next week. Top Gun, the new new Top Gun is coming out. Rave reviews right now. We'll see if it's actually worth all the hype. And a closing thought for Cody. Just poured a little something-something for the Panthers. Just an absolutely brutal performance. I mean, you talk about the disappointment of this playoff. The Leafs, we know they're a joke. They're always beliefing. But the Panthers, brutal. Panthers are going to be in that conversation now. They've put themselves in that conversation until they do something in the playoffs, even if they have good regular seasons. This is the new narrative. They, they're everyone wants to talk about like goals and stuff. Like it's no, it's they. Their offense went to shit in the playoffs. They were the best offense ever, almost by some metrics. And and they they scored one one goal ver, a game versus Tampa. That's just never going to get it done. It's awful. I feel for Roy. I feel for you. At least I haven't. Works. At least I haven't gotten a season worth of season tickets this one and renewed for next one. At least I haven't done all that. Oh. I have. Give me a people. Give me a ballpark on the money we're talking about here. Like you can't write off any of that stuff. This is your own. Oh yeah, this is this is. I I could get a media credential like Roy and sit up in the nosebleeds, but I have like seats in the bottom level. I have two seats. Yeah, this is this is thousands and thousands of dollars per season. (sighs) Season tickets in Sunrise, Florida. Yep. Luckily, I luckily I live like two minutes from the arena, so it's close. But still. But 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 the parking that's got to be twenty bucks. That's not easy. Yeah, thirty bucks actually. Don't get me started on that. It adds up. All right. Thanks for supporting Cinephile. We'll see you next time. I'll see you at the movies.